You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. I recently spoke with Hannah Huang, the executive director of the Austin Asian American Film Festival, and Josh Martin of the special programs team about Prismatic Taiwan, a virtual six-film series celebrating the past and present of queer Taiwanese cinema. The lineup of films span 1970 to 2016. As you'll hear in this interview, a lot of research and thought went into the film selections. The films offer a different perspective on Taiwan's history and insight into Taiwan's LGBTQ history. You can watch all six films for under $15, and Talking Taiwan listeners can also get an additional $2 off when they use the code TALKING, that's T-A-L-K-I-N-G in all caps. Now, on with the interview. Welcome to the podcast. Yes, glad to be here. We were speaking earlier and you were telling me that this is actually the second time that you've had a Taiwan film series at the Austin Film Festival, right? That's right. Um, besides having a variety of Taiwanese films throughout uh, year-to-year programming or in our main fest, in 2018, um, September, we did a big six-film series of Ho Shen, a retrospective as well. So Josh and I had teamed up to work on that together, and we were able to do that again uh, when the opportunity for funding presented itself for this year as well. Sorry, I, I did want to say this was um, this is actually the series that we're doing now. The Prismatic Taiwan series was actually kind of the first um, idea that um, we uh, proposed. Um, I think it was uh, we started talking about doing a Taiwanese film series around the time of the uh, the Constitutional Court uh, decision um, calling for uh, the implementation of of equal marriage. Yeah. And um, for uh, for various reasons, we, we ended up doing the Hoi Shen series instead. And now we had the opportunity, as Hannah said, to do another series. And we kind of circled back around to, to the initial idea. So um, we're, uh, this has been actually so in the works for uh, quite a while, um, even before, uh, even before, well before this year. So. Can you guys tell me a little bit about the Austin American Film Festival first? Like what dates is running? Um, how someone can attend and how long the festival's been around? Sure. Um, the Austin Asian American Film Festival has been around since 2004, actually. And back then, it was just called the Asian Austin Asian Film Festival. So the Asian American part really didn't come into play until um, an Asian American organizer started organizing in 2007. Um, he's now the the film the festival director over at Center for Asian American Studies, Masashi Niwano, and so we're really happy to have that legacy um, within our our staff. But for a very long time, it's been completely volunteer run. Um, as we're moving along, we're now able to give stipends to our uh, staff directors, and uh, now for myself as the executive director. And so we're moving the the mission. Um, of being able to bring to light Asian and Asian American stories through cinema. Um, so this can be through supporting our Asian American filmmakers, our Asian filmmakers, through having the main festival. Um, it could be through our community collaborations with other film entities and organizations throughout Austin. Or in, in a special case like this, being able to lead like this national virtual series. So we, we do do year-round programming. 
And that's why our name uh, currently is a little bit of a misnomer because we do have our main annual festival, um, which usually would occur in June. So what happened this year with uh, COVID-19 and everything is we pivoted over to become a short, to, to have a short um, film online festival. So we did 36 shorts and that was about mid-June. And so we wrapped that up since, and we're now launching into this next program of Prismatic Taiwan um, with the six film retrospective. Uh, we, we do have plans for later in this year, in the fall, in probably late fall, like November or so, to do a retrospective of, of Asian American films as well. So that is something we're working on uh, with the current climate and how distribution works. We didn't feel quite comfortable in putting on our usual film festival with new works, especially with a lot of filmmakers kind of struggling with uh, distribution and compensation for uh, the work they've put in. So the industry itself has been shaken up quite a bit this year, and one of the things we focused on was for our shorts festival, um, the development of these primarily younger filmmakers um, who are doing short films, and, and we really focus on that uh, for June. And then going into uh, the rest of the year, what we did do and make a decision to do this year was we refunded the feature film submissions for our main festival. And, um, and we're working on collaborative programming with other API Film Fest and other local entities as well. And we briefly mentioned that um, this year, there's going to be the, a Taiwan queer film retro retrospective called Prismatic Taiwan. And I think I can guess why you've given me given this festival the name Prismatic, right? Mm -hmm. um, the whole idea of the prism and the light going through the prism with the um, spectrum of colors, the rainbow going through. Is that correct? That's right. Um, definitely, like, prisms, rainbows, uh, things like that. Very colorful aspect of our queer community is, uh, it's it's correlated, co right? So when people think LGBTQ or queer, they tend to think of that rainbow um, or prism prismatic type of spectrum. Um, so that is why we chose the title. And then what's interesting is uh, I worked with another person to come up with the title in Chinese. Hmm. And the title in Chinese, um, the the word for kaleidoscope, we actually used part of that. Um, and did a pun on it, so it's also Tongzi. So, so there, that Tong character is actually from Tongzi or homosexual, or um, in terms of like in Chinese, in the Chinese language. So, um, when I was talking to them about prism, they didn't really know how to translate that directly. Um, so we we ended up on like kaleidoscope as uh, the Chinese word that was more representative and indicative of what we were trying to convey. Oh, interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Um, mm -hmm. In selecting the films, like, did you first determine over what period of time you wanted to cover, or did you select the films first, and then they happened to spend 1970 to 2016? Like, how intentional was the selection? Um, I actually literally just kind of went through every film um, I could think of or every film that I could find through um, through sources that um, I felt might fit a series under this rubric, which is a pretty broad rubric. Um, and it actually just happened that 
one of the films I learned about in the course of kind of researching it was from 1970, which was uh, very kind of startling to me. It was a film that I had not heard of. And if you read, you know, most histories of Taiwanese queer cinema tend to, you know, start out around the 80s. Um, and, and, but this film had actually just kind of resurfaced um, a couple of years ago. It had been out of circulation for decades. It was fought lost, I, I think, for a period on um, the end of the track, which is the, uh, the earliest film we have in the series. And um, it, was, it was not like a conscious decision to just kind of span a certain time period. But when I learned about this particular film, the, the end of the track, and was able to you know, see it and felt that it was something really very exciting um, and again very new in the sense that it has not been uh, available for screening until very recently so um, we're you know I, we're pretty excited to uh, be able to kind of start the series chronologically with that film which just leaving aside it's you know the, 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 the earliness of it I suppose you know the fact that this is a film with a kind of a, a queer theme or under you know subtext to it being made at such a early date I mean this is I mean around the same time even you know in America you, you know there's weren't a whole lot of films being made on these themes at that point so um, but it's also just a very good uh, film <laughs> um, so um, that's John, really the reason why we're starting here. Wasn't there a story behind it, like uh, like somebody found the actual film footage, the reels, right, and it had to be recovered by the Taiwan Film Institute, uh, which is now the Taiwan Film and Audiovisual Institute? The, the story I heard was that um, I'm actually going to be speaking with them about this uh, next week, so I'll be able to confirm this. The, the story I heard was that a couple of years ago they started looking for a copy of this film because as far as they were aware it was uh it was lost they didn't know where it was so they um researched it and they found out that the director had actually deposited his copy of it somewhere um a couple decades ago and it had not been labeled or cataloged and so they tracked it down and they said yeah this is it but then they had to track down the director who had retired from filmmaking quite a while earlier and um, the last known address they had was a place in a house in Philadelphia that apparently did not exist anymore and so they were eventually able to track him down because they needed his permission to actually do anything with it and um, that was um, unfortunately that or fortunately and unfortunately they did track him down very shortly before he passed away um, but they were able to uh, get the film digitized and they did a kind of uh, probably a premiere because I, I don't believe the film ever actually had a proper showing when it was made. It, there were some issues with it um, possibly legal issues and also related to distribution censorship, this whole kind of little confusing situation that basically kept anybody from seeing the movie at the time so um, oh, that's incredible. Uh, Thank you for sharing that story. Um, what was the name of the film? The End of the Track. Okay, mm -hmm. wonderful. Yeah, if anything, that should be a, a pique people's curiosity to attend and uh, watch the film. It's so amazing that through your research, you're able to unearth that and bring it back so that people could see it. 
part of this uh, series really, like Josh narrowed it down from 22 plus films. Um, and then really we saw the retrospective aspect of it shape up because there was just films that popped out from specific eras. Um, the only real change we had to make um, in moving it to virtual was uh, the wedding banquet because we really wanted uh, Ang Lee's wedding banquet, but they, it is not available for online streaming, unfortunately. It already has another contract in place. So we did get another title that has a very similar name and is just as impactful. Um, it's not simply another wedding banquet. That was, is that the right? Not simply a wedding banquet. Not simply a wedding banquet. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, I, I, I would I would encourage people if they, you know obviously we want them to watch the six films that we're programming, but uh, you know if they have time they can you know the, the wedding banquet is you know not too hard to find. So if you know we kind of encourage them to do their own sort of unofficial uh, add-on uh, to our program if if they feel inclined. <laughs> Um, so can we talk about the other films being featured and um, like the titles and maybe a synopsis and, and why they were selected? Because um, I think Hannah alluded to the fact that they really reflected the era that they, um, that each of them reflected a certain era. So we, we talked a lot about the end of the track and then uh, chronologically the next one would be Outcast. It's also known as The Outsiders. And this one's uh, really interesting in that it's that it's just, or it was made in 1986. So that's just as martial law is coming to an end, right? Um, so it is a Mandarin with English subtitles and it's based on a controversial novel. Um, the, this one is very interesting as well because um, we are actually ha having to get the copy from uh, Brazil and then Josh is having to do some sub subtitling work for it uh, for us because it, it really wasn't uh, quite ready for a U.S. release. So we really took that time to um, go and find films that are really hard to watch um, in person or online. So that's what makes part of uh, Prismatic Taiwan really special, too. It's these films that you really wouldn't have an opportunity to find or watch otherwise. Um, the one after that is The River. And that was set in 1997. So really in just the late 90s, you're, you're starting to see more of that emergence of um, the, the gay club scene in like Taipei especially. Um, you're seeing a lot of other uh, films kind of touch upon like youth um, and vibrancy as Taiwan is a young democracy. So the river and not simply a wedding banquet, they are set in the same year, 1997. Um, both of them, are really focused more on gay stories, so stories about males. And um, one of them is, or the river itself is, uh, is a narrative, and then not simply a wedding banquet, it's a documentary. So we we ended up kind of feeling or seeing that um, those would complement each other well. Um, and then our last few, you kind of start to see as the LGBTQ movement and queer movement in Taiwan is starting to change. Um, it's not just about uh, gay males anymore. You start to see more stories about women. Um, so we have Spider Lily, which is uh, which came out in 2007. And I actually remember this. Um, I used to go back to Taiwan quite a bit for summer vacation around this time. Um, I was in high school at the time. And it had quite a large um, uh, idol presence in that Rainy Yang, the singer, um, and she also does acting too. This is like her 
first, like one of her first big movie debuts, and she plays a lesbian uh, in a lesbian movie. So for for her to be in that, I remember hearing about it and kind of like hearing the buzz around that um, in the news in Taiwan. And uh, the director uh, herself is very involved in the queer movement in Taiwan as well. So we're we're actually going to have her appear on one of our live events that will be on September fifth. And we're doing that with Asian Cinevision, which is a, a local um, API film uh, group who puts on the, the film festival for Asian American Film Festival in New York. We're organizing that as kind of like a transnational uh, queer activism panel. So we'll have some representatives from the UK, from America, and from Taiwan, along with uh, the director to talk about organizing in their different countries and how they can potentially work together too. So I'm really excited about that event. Um, last but not least, we have Small Talk, which is a documentary, and that came out in 2016. So this is a bit more of a family theme um, in terms of the, the director is speaking, or, or the other main person in this documentary is her mother. So it really explores um, that relationship and um, being out or coming out. And we have done a live interview uh, with her in Taiwan that's going to be re recorded and released. Um, with all of these, really what we're striving to do is put them in the context of Taiwanese history and, and show how um, Taiwan queer history especially has such like strong, vibrant, um, like, depth to, to it and one of the things that was really interesting for me to find out about Taiwan queer history too is and to think about it is even though we are an island or a country that's been colonized um, it, it really didn't have to deal with like overruling or repealing um, laws about uh, LGBTQ people so for example in India and in some other countries that were colonized um, they had to repeal those laws first um, that forbade um, same-sex same sex, um, uh, marriage and uh, being together or sleeping together and, and in, in order to move forward. So in Taiwan, in some sense, our LGBTQ community has been able to move forward uh, a lot faster and make progress faster uh, because they didn't have those barriers. Josh? Well, I was just thinking that kind of with regards to that, like um, we have one of the films in the series, The River, and um, we, you know, I, we, we kind of wanted to show that partly because, you know, for, for a number of reasons, but partly because it is a, a, a timing young film, and, and timing young is um, one of, certainly one of the most famous Taiwanese filmmakers, um, you know, on, on a worldwide level, and also one of, you know, one of the, if not the kind of most well-known Taiwanese queer filmmakers, and you know, this is, you know, most of his movies aren't ne don't necessarily deal with this that subject matter directly. Um, this is, you know, one of the the few that does. But um, there is a kind of sensibility that is reflected in his work, and also just this kind of habit, the tendency of pushing the envelope with some of his films, including this one, which kind of gets to some kind of somewhat disturbing, you know, dark places. And, you know, Taiming Long has talked about, like, he is, you know, from Malaysia, and in Malaysia, he, you know, is, he's very upset about the fact that if I were, if, you know, if I were still in Malaysia, I, I would not have a, a filmmaking career. I couldn't make these 
films in Malaysia. And in fact, you know, he made, he went back to Malaysia to make a film, I Don't Want to Sleep Alone, which was another film that we, we looked at for this series, one of the many. And that film was banned when they actually tried to show it in Malaysia. Like he can make it there, but he couldn't show it, you know, had to make some cuts. And um, so I, I was just kind of thinking, you know, that sort of post-colonial, you know, the, the, the fact that in a lot of, uh, you know, societies like including Malaysia, you have these laws that are still on the books from, you know, the British, you know, British rule or French rule or something in, in Taiwan, as Hannah said, um, was able to kind of didn't have that kind of baggage necessarily to deal with um, in this kind of advance of you know LGBTQ rights. And even in the selection um, time when we were looking through all the films, uh, we did run across like people who distributors or, or filmmakers who they didn't want their film included um, as part of a queer series film series. So. Uh, we're not going to name any names, but, but it was something that we did come across and, and that was surprising to us. Um, but then, but really not that surprising, um, considering that we do still have a, a very vocal, uh, conservative faction in Taiwan that, um, that don't want, um, same sex marriage and don't want LGBTQ rights. I mean, I mean, getting back for just a very briefly to like the timing round, like he used to be kind of in that camp where he, he would say like, I, I'm, I'm not comfortable with my films being shown in like a, a gay and lesbian film festival. And, and he was not like, he was, he was not open, you know, he was not like an out, you know, gay man. But then a couple of years ago, there was the referendum in, I believe it was 2018 to attempt to kind of overturn the constitutional court decision. And, and he did speak at a rally and he did, you know, I guess kind of come out as a gay man and now he says you know I've, I've kind of come around you know I'm, I'm comfortable with if people you know want to view my films through that prism um, if, if, if that had not happened I, I'm not sure that we would be you know <laughs> showing his films you know we do kind of want to um, kind of be respectful you know to um, you know filmmakers directors you know distributors how they want their films to be positioned or perceived and as Hannah said they may you know there's there's a lot of reasons that might go into that you know personal or social or otherwise right that is very surprising that some of these filmmakers are quote-unquote still closeted in their own way and you also mentioned that there's going to be a live uh, sort of roundtable event like a discussion on the 5th and so if you guys could provide me with that I'd be happy to put that in the show notes in case our listeners are interested in knowing about that specifically I think it's great that that activist component so people can actually think about um, the issues in like in the real world not just like passively watching these films but think about how that applies to their, you know, to the to our lives. Um, yeah, we have um, a few details about that in our press release, and then uh, viewers can also go to aaafilmfest.org. So we'll have like the full details um, and the timing and everything of the live event for everyone to join in. So I did receive a copy of your press release, and I'll make sure that we put a copy of it on our website so people can have more details of the festival. Is there anything you uh, wanted to tell me about any of the other filmmakers? We touched on a few of them. Um, well, uh, getting back to the end of the track uh, for a minute, the director of that movie is a very interesting figure, kind of had a very varied career. He, um, you know, if, if we 
look at the end of the track and if we kind of treat that film, and I don't know if this is 100% accurate, so I don't want to stake you know, my life on this, but if we kind of treat that as kind of like maybe the beginning of Taiwan queer cinema, but it's not just that, it's also at the kind of the beginning of Taiwanese independent uh, film. And this is, you know, this was a movie made completely really outside any of the established uh, studios that existed in Taiwan at that time. It's kind of a product of the first generation of sort of film school graduates, and the, the director of this film, Mo Duanfei, I should, should say his name, um, you know, graduated from film school, and he made, a, a, it was the subject of a documentary made by one of his classmates, a film, a documentary called The Mountain, which is itself a very influential and important film in Taiwanese documentary history and then he started making features on his own and his first feature was a kind of, was a juvenile delinquency drama that ended up not getting released and uh, again there's some hate fuzziness about why that happened but there, it, there, there may have been some censorship involved this was of course still a time of you know very strict control over the media you know you not only had to submit, if you wanted to get a film released, you not only had to submit the, the finished film, you had to submit your script. And if, you, if they didn't like the script, then you couldn't even go into the production on it. Um, so then he makes this film, and it gets rejected, doesn't come out, and he immediately turns around and makes another one. He makes this film, The End of the Track. And um, again, basically the same thing happened. He finishes the film, um, he submits it for censorship, he tries to find the distributor, and it just doesn't happen and so he basically kind of said I'm, not, I'm going to take a break <laughs> from this instead of just kind of hitting my head against the wall I'm going to apparently he traveled the world for a little bit and then ended up in Hong Kong and became essentially an exploitation filmmaker he actually got a job at Shaw Brothers you know the, the major studio in, in Hong Kong really the major studio in the entire sort of Chinese language cinema sphere at that point and just made essentially sort of kind of the sleaziest types of films that they made and um, that was what he became known for. He's not remembered today as a early Taiwanese independent filmmaker. He's remembered as this guy who made very gory you know horror films essentially. Um, so that's another reason why um, we're kind of excited to be presenting this to kind of maybe fill in a, a, a certain gap in kind of the knowledge of this director who is, um, you know, just was uh, in some ways ahead of his time in uh, ways that I think very few viewers know about. But I think Small Talk is another film that um, everyone would really enjoy. Uh, the director, um, she came out uh, later in her life and she had kind of been forced into a marriage earlier on, so she does have a daughter um, out of that marriage, and uh, she interviewed, this documentary really was uh, 20 years in the making, and it was executive produced by Ho Xiaoxin, and um, when it came out, it was Taiwan's submission to the Academy Awards, so it's really a highlight documentary that's come out of Taiwan that uh, maybe outside of Taiwan not too many people have seen. So, so I think I'm really excited about this one, um, and we're hoping to set up you, uh, you yourself with an interview with this director too. Wonderful! I'm looking forward to that. Thank you for that. Um, 
Is there anything else that you'd like to tell us about um, Prismatic Taiwan or uh, what we can look forward to at this year's festival? Yeah, so our design for it um, was fantastic. Um, our poster that's coming out, and you'll see a little snippet of it in our press release, it was designed by a Taiwanese-American artist um, who has been advertising for a very long time. And and we we're lucky enough that, you know, she had a little bit of downtime um, during this year to be able to help us out with um, with designing uh, for this event. She also helped us a little bit with our logo redesign that happened recently. Um, she used the inspiration of uh, Kaohsiung's Aiho, Love River. And she she made the river um, kind of come out and have like different colors and they spell out Prismatic Taiwan. I'll, I'll be sure to send you the full poster too um, so you have a reference to it, but it's just really fantastic and a very striking design um, at first glance. So I'm very excited about that as well. 2020 is a, has been a huge year of change for us. and. Um, instead of kind of letting it define us, we've kind of just taken it by the horns and I think hopefully um, been able to kind of make it a, a little bit of our own too. Yeah, it seems like it. I see that like you guys had to pivot and like readjust the times and all that. It's very exciting. Sure. I mean, we really like to be able to offer your listeners uh, a discount code for $2 off. I'll get our team to send that over to you in time for your post. Um, along with that, really, this is a community-led effort and event. We have a lot of really great partners. Uh, this, the, the funding for this event has come mostly from Taiwan's Ministry of Culture. Um, we really wouldn't have been able to done it without the help of our Taiwan Academy Houston office as well. They have a lot of trust in us, and um, because of that, we're able to put on these large events like this. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for um, taking the time out of your schedule to be on the podcast and to share um, information about Prismatic Taiwan and the Austin American Film Festival. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, it's great to be here. I've been speaking with Hannah Huang, the Executive Director of the Austin Asian American Film Festival, and Josh Martin of the Special Programs Team about Prismatic Taiwan, a Taiwan queer film retrospective featuring six Taiwan films spanning from 1970 to 2016. Prismatic Taiwan runs from September 4th to 13th. Tickets go on sale on August 28th. Talking Taiwan listeners can get an additional $2 off with the discount code TALKING. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-G in caps. Visit www.aaafilmfest.org for more details. And visit our website TalkingTaiwan.com for the show notes. Next week's episode will feature an interview with Huang Cheng director of Small Talk, one of the films being featured in Prismatic Taiwan. If you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, please take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.